This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we cover the latest release of ONTAP 9.12.1. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipark. Zipark. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and on the phone we have a couple of special guests to talk to us all about the latest release of NetApp on Tap 9.12.1. So Keith Asin is in the house. Uh, Keith, what do you do here at NetApp? How do I reach you? Hey, Justin. Uh, Keith Asin here. I am a senior product manager in the ONTAP organization. Easiest way to reach me is keitha at netapp.com. All right. And also with us, uh, first time podcast guest, Ken Mencher. Ken, what do you do here at NetApp? How do we reach you? Hey, Justin. Uh, so I am a senior product manager for Core ONTAP and Performance uh, here at NetApp. My email is probably the easiest way to reach me. Mencher, M-E-N-C-H-E-R at NetApp.com. All right. Ken and I go way back to support days. Ken actually started in our I guess our outsourced Convergence office, and then he worked his way up the ranks and made his way all the way to product manager, where now he can retire happily, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> What's next, Ken? CEO? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that's a little busy for me. Yeah, I think it's a little busy for me, too. All right, so we're not here to talk about Ken's career trajectory. We're here to talk about NetApp ONTAP 9.12.1. So to do that, we brought these two in because, of course, they are the ONTAP experts. Uh, so to start with, we'll start with Keith. Keith. What's new in ONTAP 9.12.1 for security? So much in security. You know, the last couple of versions, I feel a bit like a broken record saying, here's all the new things we're doing in security, but they're stacking on tap on top of each other in that, on top of each other. Hmm, interesting. I almost made on, a pun there. On tap of each other. On, on top of each other. Yeah, that could work. Uh, this is why I'm in product management, not in marketing. But it is such a core focus. When we have customers come into the EBCs and we ask them sort of, you know, hey, what's top of mind? What's What's keeping you up at night? You know, it's security. You know that that is a, a reoccurring theme, and so the the ONTAP nine point twelve point one release has a ton of security enhancements. You know, first and foremost are this concept of tamper proof snapshots that are backed by Snaplock. Uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's an incredibly secure way of of creating these secure recovery points that protect you against ransomware. And then, and then on top of that, we have a ton of other uh, enhancements. You know, we can dive into some of some of those. They might be minor for some folks, but I think are, are things that people have been waiting a long time from a security standpoint. So yeah, like I know we have the automatic ransomware detection feature in there. So how are we building on top of that? Like, what what are we adding to that? Because with security, of course, there's going to be new features in every release. It's good. It has to be because things are changing constantly. We need to make sure we protect our environments a little better. So tell me more about what's going on with the ransomware detection piece. Sure. So on the ransomware protection piece, that was that was a really unique way of of having ONTAP, you know, asynchronously watch file shares for indications of ransomware attacking. And when it does, you know, triggering a recovery point. So you have that recovery point very, very close to the attack. You know, it gives you your least amount of data that's been damaged. Admittedly, we're seeing a bit of a change from you know sophistication. Ransomers realize that if they're trying to attack 
NetApp customers, we've got these recovery points. And so, you know, one of the things that we're seeing is these malware that come in, rather than just sort of blindly starting to encrypt things, they'll lie dormant. And the first phase of the attack is simply to to catch keystrokes and, and hopefully catch administrator credentials. So they'll try to spread in the organization, try to get to a storage administrator, and then, you know, try to compromise the storage. If they do that, they can then destroy recovery points. They destroy backups, destroy backup copies, destroy snapshots prior to the ransomware kicking off. And that you know really forces your hand at paying the ransom. So one of the major enhancements is to make sure that those recovery points can't be destroyed. Now, we started this journey with ONTAP 9.11.1, where we added multi-admin verify, where you know we can set it up and enable it so that you need more than one administrator to destroy a snapshot. And so we, what we really like about that is it makes sure the snapshots are secure. And if you do need to destroy one or delete a snapshot, you're not sitting in a support queue, you know, waiting for somebody within the support organization to release your snapshot. If you're filling up with space, you probably want to hurry that along. So multi-man verify will allow you within your own organization to have a, you know another layer of protection against these snapshots being destroyed. But then in 9.12.1, we up it even further to give you the ability to, on a scheduled basis, create recovery points that can't be deleted, can't be destroyed, um, and they're time-locked, essentially. So I can create them for you know hours, days, or weeks, and really nothing until that time expires can destroy that snapshot, making sure that I can guarantee that recovery point exists. So this sounds a lot like the feature we've had for a while called SnapLock. Are we leveraging that technology? And if so, are we requiring a SnapLock license to do this, or is it simply part of the ransomware protection bundle? Ah, I'm glad you brought that up. It is backed by SnapLock. It uses SnapLock technologies under the covers. So it does require the SnapLock license. But other kind of late-breaking news for the partners, uh, NetAppers out there, um, we've brought back the security and compliance bundle. So the security and compliance bundle includes SnapLock and autonomous ransomware protection, along with the multi-tenant key manager. And uh, that will be the go-forward way of selling those three licenses. So, you know, it's a more affordable way. It's easier to license and certainly easier to retrofit on existing systems. So that's going to be the way going forward. So you will need that bundle to have these tamper-proof snapshots. I guess it also builds on that previous feature with SnapLock, where we basically took away the need to SnapLock entire aggregates, right? You had the aggregate level SnapLock. Now you have volume level SnapLock. So you have more flexibility and you don't require an entire aggregate to be taken away for, for use of compliance. Yeah, yeah. They can live anywhere. Now, the other interesting little thing that these tamper-proof snapshots give you is if I actually want to have this secure recovery point, previously I'd, I'd create a SnapLock volume, as you said, and and then you know copy snapshots over to it. But that volume is read-only forever. So although it gives me this secure recovery point, I can't use that in a disaster scenario, right? Even if I flex clone it, that flex clone is still read-only. It's just the nature of how SnapLock works. It's a backup copy, but not a DR copy. But these tamper-proof snapshots give me the ability to have these um, protected recovery points on a regular SnapMirror volume, a secondary volume, which means I have protected recovery points, but in the event of a disaster, I can actually still fail over. The volume itself isn't SnapLock, so I can still fail over to it. So again, it potentially could reduce the number of copies of data I require from three down to two, you know, some big advantages in that as well. So what else do we have with security? Anything else interesting in non-tap 9.12.1 there? Yeah, yeah, tons of things. So the first thing we put into it is we put in this really nice dashboard in System Manager now. It's a great security dashboard to see 
all of the security things that you probably should be doing in your environment and, and whether you've done them or not. And then each one has a really simple setup to enable it. But a few extra things are in there. One is um, enabling multi-factor authentication to the command line. Anybody who's ever played around in the ONTAP command line realizes you can do some pretty powerful things in there. And so you want to make sure that you really secure that command line access if you're trying to access it via SSH. So we're going to have multi-factor authentication there. We've added using that same sort of SnapLock technology, something that doesn't require the license, but we made all of the logs on the ONTAP system tamper-proof or indelible. So you can't delete logs, you can't modify the logs. So if a you had a rogue admin or you did have a compromised set of credentials that they're going in there to try to change security settings or change schedules, and then try to cover that up, it can't be done, right? And then on top of that, there's a, a number of other sort of minor enhancements around, you know, if I am pulling all my logs into a centralized syslog server, that transfer now happens in a secure fashion as well, just making sure that I'm getting those logs to a secure location. So they're protected and can be audited after the fact. I remember in the support days, we actually had a customer whose admin got caught modifying logs because they made a boo-boo <laughs> they didn't want to get found out. So they went in and modified some logs, right? But it, it didn't really work out for them because we have auto supports and, hey, <laughs> what's going on here? But yeah, I mean, it's a good feature to have to be able to prevent rogue admins or anyone from going in there and, and changing log files because those are critical to your business to understanding what's been going on. You almost have to respect them for having the creativity to try to mod- try to cover their tracks, but we'll make sure that doesn't occur. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What about system manager? One thing I will call it in system manager that actually appeared in 9.11, but I'll admit I live and breathe on tap and I missed it in 9.11. So I want to kind of call it out now, which is this easy F policy setup. So F policy is one of those kind of secret superheroes that we've always had, almost always had, that will block file extensions. And man, blocking a file extension doesn't cost you anything from a performance standpoint. And what an easy way of you know stopping a, a, an encryption software in its tracks. And so what we've done in System Manager is we've preloaded a policy that will block over 3,000 of the most commonly known ransomware file extensions. And so you can basically one-click turn on this file policy, this F policy, that will block those files even being created. So you know, if you do have some malware trying to you know, copy or create new files of those types, it just gets shut down. So making System Manager so easy to block that kind of attack. I mean, you say there's no performance impact, but I'd say there's impact to the ransomware performance. <laughs> yes, there is definitely impact to their performance. The latency goes, goes sky high for those, those ransomware <laughs> files, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right, cool. Sounds like we got some good security stuff in there. Anything else you want to add before we move on to the next topic? Let's dive into some of the under the covers performance and scalability things that we put in there. But make sure you come back to me because I want to talk about System Manager and how it ties into this larger framework that we're you're going to hear a lot more about. I'll take it under consideration, Keith. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. So speaking of latency and performance, we got Ken here. Um, Ken, what's going on with performance in, in ONTAP 9.12.1? What are we doing there? We're looking at some of our customers who are really pushing the limits on high-performance NAS, and we're really rolling out the red carpet to ensure that those customers and everybody who's really driving reads and writes are really seeing the benefits of our hard work from getting those operations through to themselves faster. And so we're, we're cutting the latency on uh, random reads and we're hoping to get some more sequential read performance too, primarily for NFS, but uh, we're also looking to improve our SAN and our SMB performance. Talk to me a little bit more about what did we do to kind of tweak that? The goal is to 
really improve performance for those, especially for the really scaled out customers and environments that are driving lots of systems into the really big controllers. But we're also, you know, putting those improvements into ONTAP so that they're, you know, giving everybody more throughput, lower latency, so that everybody's seeing these benefits. Is it dealing with a lot of things like we've done before where we move a process out of a certain domain in the, in the CPU into another process? Are we moving out of what's called Stripe and into something else? Like, how are we handling those random reads and random writes better now? So, yes, we are streamlining some of the steps that required to process a read and write operation. Um, and we're also making sure that we've got more parallels. I hate that word. because I just wanted you to say parallelization because it's hard to say. <laughs> that one, that word, exactly. Yes, we are putting more of that into the system. More parallels. Yes. <laughs> what about scale? I mean, what are we doing for scale? Are we adding extra you know, capacity? Are we adding anything else? One of the things that customers ask me is, I need to be able to put more in my environment. We've got these really big controllers, and you can only put so many volumes on them before we run out of volumes. And so we're taking our total cluster count for volumes from 15,000 to 30,000 which means you can handle a lot more volumes in a cluster. And we're, I'm really excited about that. And I'm really going to be continuing to push that further. Um, I'm also looking to uh, see what we can get. We're going to be looking at increasing the number of volumes for a FAS system to 2,500 by default out of the box. So when you say 30,000 volumes in a cluster, that's for a 24-node cluster or up to, or is that any, any number of nodes, right? How, how does that work? Is it like What's the limit per node? So right now, the limit per node is 2,500. So doing the math. Yeah, I think you need at least six nodes, right? A six, a six yeah. node. That's generally how or we're si- doing Or six, 12, 12 nodes, sorry. 12 nodes, six HA pairs. That's it. There I we knew go. It was, yeah, 12 six nodes, six HA pairs. All right, cool. So that's not a super large cluster. That's pretty reasonable size because, I mean, you don't want to have to like have people go to 24 nodes if they don't want to because it's a lot of data center space and real estate. Yeah. Um, as far as the, the large volume or the, the extra volume count goes, that's really helpful for things like flex group volumes where you have N times the number of volumes every time you create a flex group. It's also really important for these environments that are doing more automation, more container provisioning, more things with, uh, with NetApp Trident, right? So things where we have to, we don't really have visibility into the volumes being created and those can really pile up over time. And we've really seen customers push those with their containerized environments. And I think that's probably one of the main drivers of the larger volume counts, would you say? Oh, absolutely. Flex groups have been a big driver of volume count and the Kubernetes slash Trident environments, those guys are generating volumes on a constant basis. And, and they've been really looking to be able to take advantage, full advantage of their NetApp platforms. And I'm really glad to be able to roll this out to those folks. One of the things that I've, heard in my day of dealing with flex groups is that the people want to be able to balance data around in the flex group. And that's been one of kind of one of the sore spots of flex group volumes and why people maybe would move back to flex volumes. So what have we done in that arena in ONTEP 9.12.1? I know in 9.11, we had a manual rebalance feature where you could move a single file in case you needed to do that. What are we doing in the new release? In 9.12.1, we've taken uh, the manual rebalancing and we've improved the performance on it, and we have made it as an automated process, including integrating it into System Manager. And so you can look at System Manager, you can see the status of your Flex group. Is it 
well-balanced, unbalanced, or really unbalanced. And you can set it to automatically relocate files to rebalance it automatically. And you can just keep your hands off. Not only does it do it automatically, but it also does it non-disruptively. That's awesome. Because I mean, the, the previous release, you, when you did a file move, it was basically disruptive to that file. So now you're able to do it without taking any outages. Um, that said, I, I, had, I did see across the wire that there was a limitation to files that use VM align. Is that still apl applicable here? Yes, there is. And it's also going to be targeting some of your larger files. There is a minimum size limit that it's going to be looking at. So it's not going to move all the little files all over the place. It's going to try and move the largest files first. Mm -hmm. So does it leverage um, the pre-existing file systems analytics to kind of figure that stuff out? Or does it use something else as a back end? It does its own scanner set because it's looking not only for uh, large files, but also large files that may be clustered in a single constituent. Okay. So it kind of tries to figure out where the hot spots are in a volume and, and tries to address that. Absolutely. It looks at your flex group as a whole. It attempts to determine where things might have grown as part of your file workload and tries to rebalance it based on size and usage. So is this something that we kick off manually or is it something that ONTAP just says, oh, wow, this flex group is really unbalanced. I need to fix that. Or is that something that's in the future or is that something we can schedule? Currently, it is something that you have to kick off either via command line, REST, or system manager. Like I said, system manager's got a nice graphical view, a nice table of your volumes, and shows you which ones are balanced or not. Or you can uh, do that via CLI. But no, we do not do it automatically. It is something that is a future provision. Something I'll throw in there, Justin, is the fact that it's atomic in nature. Right? And kind of what I mean by that is you can start it in any of those means, and then you can stop it. And you don't need the job to finish per se, to get the benefits of it. You can let it run for an hour when you have a, a low utilization period and start it and you'll you'll gain the benefits of it, right? It doesn't have to run to completion to, to give you any of the benefits that you're getting from the rebalancing. Oh yeah, because it's moving one file at a time. Once that first file has been moved, you're going to start seeing some rebalance coming back into your flex group. What sort of impact is there to the performance of the system as well as the performance of the flex group when we do this? We spend a lot of time making sure that the actual transfer is fairly low impact. You will see some performance impacts if you're accessing a file that is currently being moved. But aside from that, the actual migration is fairly low impact. There will be some minor performance impacts accessing files that have been moved, usually just the initial access where you're looking for information about the file. After that, seamless. I imagine that we're probably leveraging something like a file clone to get these across to constituents. Is that accurate? It's actually a snap mirror technology that allows us to move a single file on demand. Okay, so basically like a snap mirror or store of a file to another constituent. Correct. Uh, it's essentially a small-scale file move. That actually opens the doors, I think, in the future to a lot of other possibilities for other use cases, right? So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be just for flex group volume moving later on. You know, in the future, we could use it for other things. I, could, I can definitely see use cases where doing a file-level replication or a file level move is going to be useful, not just in a flex group arena. Oh, absolutely. The ability to control your data on a more granular level is absolutely something that we are focusing on, especially as these flex groups and flex walls and the amount of disks available just grow ever larger. Yeah. And this is something that ONTAP has generally been very good about is building blocks, right? Like taking a feature, creating it, and then instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, 
taking that feature and using it somewhere else because there are lots of different ways you can use a feature. Absolutely. ONTAP has really been a leader in taking what we've developed and building on it to enable new features, functionalities, faster features, functionalities. We can roll out a lot of technology really quickly by using what we've already built. So that said, I mean, that kind of lends to this idea of flexibility. So, so Keith, what's new in ONTAP 9.12.1 that adds additional flexibility to ONTAP? One of the, the huge areas for that is this idea of uh, what we call file object multi-protocol. ONTAP never stores things as a file, as a LUN, or as an object. We store data. And then we layer protocols about how to access that data after the fact. And you know, we did this early days with being able to simultaneously access files both across NFS and SMB, right? Two quite different file systems accessing the same files at rest. So 9.12.1, we're introducing the same ability, but now being able to access those same files at rest, but accessing it via S3 object protocols. So pretty slick stuff there. The reason why that's such a big deal. So when you're dealing with NFS and SMB, you're still dealing with files, right? (laughs) Files are files. When you're dealing with object versus files, now you're dealing with two different ways of consuming data. You have file level, which is more of a part of a file as you're going through. And then you have object, which is the entire entity at one time. So Tell me a little bit more about what we're doing there. What's the limitation there and what's supported, what isn't? Yeah, like you said, these aren't just sort of small tweaks. These are radically different protocols. So first off, you know, the idea in a POSIX file system, you've got this concept of, of directories, right? A directory structure. So first thing we have to do is flatten that out because in, in the object world, there are no directories. It's just buckets. And so we have to flatten that out. And then the, the second angle is you can have duplicate file names, right? The same file name can exist in two different directories. Well, that can't happen in objects. So we have to make sure that every file or every object has a unique ID. So when we flatten the file system out, we actually create object IDs by using that directory structure. That will ensure that we've got a unique object ID for every file that exists over on the file side of the house. Then permissions is another whole challenge, right? In a POSIX file system, you have a very complex set of permissions that some are assigned to file level, some are inherited. Um, again, object is, is very simplistic, right? It's just access to the bucket and then you kind of have it or you don't. Then maybe the last element of sort of complexity is like you said, files, you can do all sorts of things like a pen where that concept doesn't really exist in the object side. It puts and gets, that's about it. You always write a net new object. You can version it, but it's always a net new object. So translating across those two is sort of complex, but ONTAP's really up to the task more than any other platform out there because, again, we're storing it as data. We're not having to do the sort of core level translations. We already sort of translate our raw data into the concept of files. In this case, we can just translate it differently into objects. So it's much, much easier for ONTAP to do that than another platform that was written for files or written for objects and trying for them to do a full translation to the other protocol. I think that's a really big deal because not a lot of platforms can do that. It's, It's very important to be able to have flexibility in how you access your data, especially when you're in an app environment where your consumers may be doing very different things for the application. And, you know, some of them may be hosting it through S3. Some of them may be trying to access and write files through NFS. Maybe you're creating the files through NFS and the S3 objects are being consumed by the end users. So having that flexibility is is great. It also prevents you from having to move a lot of data around. Now you can just access it all the same data sets. That's the big one, right? Is there are other platforms that offer this, but by copying the data, and, and I've spoken to customers that today have a manual process where they copy and translate that data from one to the other, but it's a ton of data being moved around. It's two full copies of the data. 
this will be a single copy at rest, you know, that translation sort of happens in real time. Now, the only, only other caveat that we have at this particular release is today it has to be file data that we present out as object. It can't be the other way around. The data can't be ingested as an object that we then, you know, layer a file system on top of. That's something that's actually even more complex for us to do. You know, hopefully that'll be a future capability. So today it's file into object, but it's actually the more important one. We Right now we have far more data that's you know, already onboard systems that's trapped in file systems. And we have a, a ton of new applications and services and analytics that want to access that data as objects. And so we can take that data that's pre-existing, sitting in NAS shares, SMB or NFS, and point these new applications and services at it using object and extract that value out of the data, right? Things like object recognition or data analytics or data tagging all can be done now through object. Are there any other sort of flexibility features that we have in ONTAP in that same vein, right? Where we give people more options with the feature that we have today. And then on the flexibility, you know, I think I talked about last time I was on was this concept of SVM mobility, right? The ability to take a storage virtual machine that's running on one cluster. I can move data anywhere around I want inside the cluster, but actually take that SVM in its entirety and move it to another cluster in the same data center non-disruptively, right? So I'm not dropping shares and end users are unaware that I'm actually changing which cluster that the SVM is running on. In 9.12.1, we're adding in support for FAS systems. So you know, that's sort of interesting. Maybe I can move an SVM from FAS up to an AFF cluster if I need more performance or, or vice versa. And also adding in support for SMB. SMB doesn't transfer well. A user connected to an SMB share will drop when I cut over that SVM, but the share doesn't actually go down. So they can immediately reconnect to that mount point. But that, those are a couple of nice enhancements to further you know, open that use case of shuffling SVMs around in my data center without end users being impacted or having to change anything. Yeah, and that drop is more of a nature of the statefulness of the protocol. Is you know, I, I would imagine that also applies for NFS v4 as well. Right, any of the stateful protocols, correct. Speaking of flexibility and the ability to do lots of different things with different features, we have a feature called FlexCache where you can create a, a sparse cache that ties to an origin volume. So let's say your flex group volume or your very large 300 terabyte flex vol. Um, and it doesn't have to be 300 terabytes. It can be one terabyte. It can be 200 gigs. And basically, it's a way to accelerate mostly reads, right? It's mostly for the, historically been for reads. ONTAP 9.12.1 brings something else here. Is it, I guess this is also public preview? Yeah. FlexCache has been really great at accelerating reads. Unfortunately, the writes have had to kind of take the slow path or the, the long road all the way back to the origin in order to actually happen. So... We've really been stressing FlexCache for those environments where you really need to do a lot of reads across a lot of systems or a remote read or a remote location. Well, we're introducing as part of the public previews something called FlexCache Writeback, which enables you to write to your local cache and we'll process it there and then ship it back to the origin later to be integrated into your file system. That's going to be great, I think, for customers that want to do more remote operations, maybe leverage the cloud more. I think the main challenge here is going to be if I write a file to multiple locations, let's say I, I have the same database file and I've written to multiple caches. How does that file get committed back? Because <laughs> now we have three different or two different copies of this file and we are in changes. They may all be different. How do we make sure that that gets resolved on the data origin side? Well, we do some synchronization between the caches via the origin which basically would work like you would if you were all writing to the same system originally. There's a synchronization process between them so that 
as the rights come in, the different caches are communicating with each other and ensuring that there's no data integrity problems or miscommunications about who's got which order. So is this done through straight up file locking saying, hey, this file's locked for rights right now? Correct. And the file locking communicates back through the origin so that uh, there's no confusion about who has access to the file when. And going back to our building blocks, right? This was a feature, the locking piece for FlexCache got added, I think, in like 9.9 or something, 9.8, right around that time frame. So we've had this concept of file locking across caches in place. It's kind of like this this like hidden time bomb of like, hey, <laughs> now we're going to support right back. And this is what people have really been wanting because, you know, the reads are nice, but ultimately what people want is the ability to do both. Right. And I wouldn't call it a time bomb. I mean, that's kind of a negative. It's kind of a negative there. connotation, but it's, it's, it's exploding with goodness. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I would call it. It's I confetti would it and glitter. Like, it's, it's like Rip Torn or whatever that guy's name is. <laughs> we laid the groundwork to ensure that when we get to this point, we're in great shape. That's right. Remember when we were on for 9.11.1, we talked about FlexCache supporting A-time updates. Hmm. Funny how that suddenly. Why would we do that? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's it's really, these are little clues. These are breadcrumbs for you as customers and, and end users, right? We should hold a contest to see if people can guess what we're coming up with next based on what we're introducing now. That's right. We got these little benign features. They may or may not be cool later on. Never know. <laughs> the glitter bomb might explode later on. One thing that we've kind of been asked for a while here and that we haven't done. I mean, we, we talk about all these features that we do and that we have added and we build them onto other things. But there's been one thing that's been asked for for a while. And I, I think ultimately people have been disappointed that it hasn't made it in yet. But now it's in. So it, it's NFS session trunking, right? So this is for V4. Ken, tell me a little bit more about that and what we've added. Yeah, NFS session trunking has been something that people have been asking for because it provides a major performance improvement to the environment. Really the ability to funnel so many NFS sessions through has just been something that provides a major performance improvement to those systems. You know, we looked at it and it's been asked and we have to give the people what they ask for. Well, I mean, ultimately it, what it comes down to is there's a very large vendor out there that does session trunking and they have been asking for it for a while and that's VMware, right? For data stores. And that's perfect for that use case because when you have a single data store mounted to an NFS mount, you want to have as many streams as possible without crossing the streams, of course, um, to, to a never data store, right? the never cross the streams. Um, so with NFS session trunking, tell me about how that is compared to something like, like is, is it like a multipathing or is it more like an NConnect? It is an encapsulation, really, that gives us the ability to really push the throughput. And basically, we're attaching a really large pipe between us and that VMware system to really uh, enable them to push as much assembled clients together. So is this more of multiple interfaces working together, or is this multiple TCP streams on the same interface? This is the ability to connect multiple interfaces together. It's a really single, really large pipe that basically has multiple branches coming into it. I guess what I'm getting at here is with NConnect, if I do an NFS mount, I get N number of TCP sessions, and that gives me more performance because I get parallelization of operations. With the session trunking piece is our, we're, we're trunking sessions as the name suggests. Yeah. But are we trunking it on the same interface? Like, so if I have a, a single data lift, is it going over that single interface or can I take multiple data lifts 
and use them in collaboration to create a bigger pipe for that NFS mount. Yes, we're taking that ladder there. We're taking the multiple interfaces, multiple lifts, and, and being able to just kind of make the client see them as one big pipe. Okay. So that's good because it's a different overall functionality than NConnect. It's not redundant. And honestly, you know, it doesn't, with NConnect, VMware doesn't support that right now anyway, as far as I know. So this gives VMware data stores more overall performance and better overall throughput because now you have more resources to offer it. Absolutely. I I was not going to name VMware. I mean, you know, they are the big vendor here, but anything can take advantage of NFS session trunking. No, absolutely. Yeah. But they've been like the key use case that I've heard thrown out the most because we support PNFS. They don't. They supported session trunking. We didn't. Now we have kind of met in the middle there and now we both support session trunking. So that really gives customers an option for that particular use case. But you're right. Any application can take advantage of this provided the clients support session trunking. Right. And like you said, for VMware, this gives them the ability to really build out that pipe by using multiple smaller connections and bundle them together so that from their end, it appears to be one giant pipe that they can really push throughput. Can I do this across data lifts on different nodes in the cluster? Is, is it going to work that way or is it only on a single node's data lifts? Single node. I came across oh. that one in testing. <laughs> oh, I missed that I come one. to the rescue there. It's, it, yeah. As many lifts as you want, but on a single node. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, because it's the same kind of th- idea as LACP, right? We can't have LACP data across multiple nodes. So you definitely have to keep to a single no, mainly because there's there's an end blade there, and we don't. I don't think we share end blades yet. Yeah, um, no data synchronization at that level between nodes is something we don't have yet. Yet, building blocks. Anyway, building blocks. um, <laughs> so okay, cool. So we got flex cache right back. We got NFS session trunking. Those are pretty important new features. I think very highly asked for features. Now, I think we've covered all the major at nine point twelve point one aspects here is that is that correct keith and ken i think keith had one more thing he wanted to talk about yeah i do and it's sort of tangential to tontap 9.12.1 but timing is amazing you know we talked about some of the system manager things that we'd added in and some of the new enhancements and it's just manager is just getting really really cool from a functionality and operational standpoint but system manager of course is meant to manage that one cluster well what happens if i start getting into a much larger ecosystem so multiple clusters Maybe I've got clusters on-prem as well as in the cloud. Maybe I've got you know storage data stores outside of ONTAP and, and I'm moving data you know, between ONTAP and storage grid and third-party um, storage. How do I monitor all this in, in one central location? So by the time that this airs, Justin, you know, the cat will be out of the bag, we'll be announcing this concept of Blue XP, which is a, a unified management platform that can manage all of this holistically. And so all the goodness we're putting into System Manager ties into Blue XP. So you don't sacrifice anything from a individual cluster management standpoint. It's just pulled into it. And the same holds true for things like AIQUM, Unified Manager, that people rely on to manage multiple clusters. You know, that's getting pulled into this Blue XP as well as things like Cloud Manager that was great for managing, you know, ONTAP instances in the cloud. It's all being centralized into this one unified plane that gives you a, a central location for a GUI, but also the ability to tie in automation. So a common set of REST APIs that you can do things, you know, cross cluster, cross location. And then finally, 
it has a really powerful RBAC engine that allows you to set up RBAC holistically across your ecosystem, both on-prem and in the cloud. People can still take their web browser and, and go directly to system manager and manage that cluster. That's not changing. But you can also now optionally go into this Blue XP, which is either in the cloud or on-prem. And then Blue XP will give you a, you know, a higher level management of your environment, which you can then kick down into system manager of your individual clusters. So Blue XP is pretty new. Can you kind of give me an idea of what that entails and how, to, how people can get a, a hold of it? Yeah. So by the time this airs, it'll be uh, available for access. And so you can get a hold of it. You can do cho- two choices. Right? I said, we can run it natively as a cloud service. And so you can just simply connect into it, set up an instance, tie in your, your on-prem and cloud instances or just on-prem and be off to the races. And then you don't need to manage anything. It's running as a service. Or if you're disconnected, you can pull it down, download it, and you stand up a virtual machine and run it on-prem. Both instances are fully supported. I can't remember the exact URL, but I'm sure Justin will post this with the podcast of the URL to, uh, yeah, to get yeah, directly we'll, to it. Yeah, we'll, we'll include the links. Usually it doesn't really work very well to read the links off in a podcast format because exactly. <laughs> no one's sitting there eagerly awaiting the, the link and writing it down manually. As right. they're driving in their car. Yeah. Exactly. All right, cool. Sounds like 9.12.1's got a lot of new, interesting things. Um, Some good scalability features, good security features. Any other hidden nuggets in there that we don't know about other than what you just talked about, System Manager? System Manager Dark Mode. For us uh, night dwellers in dark data centers, we have Dark Mode for System Manager, which is pretty dang cool. Easy in our eyes. (laughs) Cool. All right. Um, So uh, as far as finding more information... um, you know, we'll definitely go into more detail with some of these features in later podcasts, uh, such as the S3 piece. But let's talk about where to find more information about ONTAP 9.12.1. Are there any insight sessions people should be looking out for? I do a slightly deeper dive of, of all the 9.12.1 features in Insight Session 1042. So take a look for that one. Ken, do they let you do an Insight Session this year? Or do they ban you for life? Oh, uh, they threatened to ban me for life after I ran way overtime on uh, the last one I ran. Talk too much. Uh, I do. I do. <laughs> also, I kept answering questions. So. Oh, you you jerk. Uh, yeah, so a- anywhere else we can find more information other than yeah. Insight Sessions? The NetApp website, netapp.com. All right, excellent. Again, Keith, if we wanted to reach you, uh, how do we do that? Keith A at netapp.com. And forget that whole I before E business that won't get you anywhere it's it's k-e-i-t-h it's the canadian spelling um (laughs) (laughs) and ken don't have any eyes in my name unfortunately otherwise i'd uh flip it just to make sure that it's not keith style no it's (laughs) mentor m-e-n-c-h-e-r keith ken thanks so much for joining us today and talking to us all about the ontap 9.12.1 features again like i said we'll have additional podcasts on deeper dives into some of these features uh, so yeah, again, thanks uh, for joining us. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Keith Asin and Ken Mencher for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it?
just me that's getting off on this? Oh yeah.